0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Joining me for this episode of the podcast is Anthony Tallman, co-founder and head brewer for Burgeon Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I, if I'm thinking about it, I think my first visit to and maybe my only visit to Burgeon was 2017. I think it was within the first six to 12 months that you guys were open and uh, Matthew had, uh, had been sending us some beer and I was coming down for actually for when it, we did a brewery accelerator down here in San Diego uh, that year. And I was driving between L.A. and uh, and, and uh, San Diego, and just had, you know had a little extra time and stopped through. I, we may have met. My my memory is foggy of those times. We
1: might have, yeah. Uh, but, that was uh, quite some time ago. Those were
0: early days, and there's been a lot of beers between here and there. In the meantime, like uh, you have made quite a splash here in a very busy and uh, a very high performance beer culture here in San Diego. A um, lot of award winners here in San Diego, and yet. Uh, you know, Carlsbad Crush, a beer that we're drinking right now, has won uh, several silver medals at the Great American Beer Festival, and uh, most recently this past year uh, in the international style pale ale category. Um, you know, amongst brewers, you're well respected, is a brewer of West Coast IPA, West Coast Pale Ale, West Coast Pilsner, and I think we're going to talk about all three of those things over the course of this episode of the podcast. But first, G&D Chillers, they always strive to build great chillers. Partner with them as you build great beer. Andy Joint of Big Grove Brewery says, quote, we've been using GD chillers from the beginning, from our original three and a half barrel pub system to our production brewery. We've been able to rely on GD to provide a high-quality chiller, help us with design and layout, and provide support wherever we need it. End quote. Choose GD Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring of your new GD chiller. Also, turnkey brewery systems, production line design services, retrofitting processing systems, Pro Brew can do all of this and more with any brewery, old or new, small or large. With an expansive list of breweries already served, their engineering team prides itself on providing a true turnkey solution built for your entire production line. They can be easily customized to fit your operation. For more information, fill out their contact form at www.probrew.com or email probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. And you might have heard of Old Orchard, but have you heard of their newest flavors? Berry blend, blood orange, lemonade, and tart cherry are the latest additions to their lineup of flavored craft juice concentrate blends old orchards r&d team can also formulate custom blends unique to your needs to learn more and request your free samples head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer all right anthony we normally start off the podcast with a little bit of uh, background so why don't you walk us through uh, your brewing background uh, what what steps did you take to get to where you are now uh Founding and now uh, you know leading the brewing side of uh, Virgin Beer.
1: Yeah, so um, you know I always kind of thought there was two initial paths for people to take, and that was either getting into a brewing school or, and/or I guess uh, you know picking up home brewing as a hobby. And and for me, that was the road I chose to go down. Uh, good friend of mine, some odd years back, her dad had been a home brewer for. I think 25 years at the time and just kind of said, Hey, we're having a big birthday barbecue for Kelly. You want to come over and brew a beer with me and learn some stuff, clean some stuff and, you know, see what you think. Took the one batch to get hooked and immediately started buying my own equipment. Uh, later turned into doing one brew by myself. My uh, Best friend who's one of my business partners, Derek is, he's our third partner. So Derek, Matthew and myself, uh, Derek and I started homebrewing together every single weekend. Um, you know, pretty much when I turned 21, I started applying at Stone Brewing Company trying to get my foot in the door and I think it took about three interviews to finally get hired and, uh, you know, kind of worked my way up from the bottom. Started on the keg line, cleaning, washing kegs, eventually filling kegs. Um, you know, never had to work on the bottling line so I didn't end up going down that route but just, yeah, took in what I could and learned from coworkers and trainers and supervisors there and, um, you know, that carried on to a couple other brewing jobs at different breweries and later in yeah 2016 founded Burgen beer company
0: what was the the drive to start your own brewery
1: um i kind of always always had this inclination that i like wanted to own my own company or work for myself um i don't know i'm pretty like type a and like things you know like to be in charge and do things my way and all sure, that sure. um but i'm i'm pretty ambitious and uh, you know i would consider myself to have a pretty high work ethic um and, you know, there just wasn't anything that I had found up to that point that I was so drawn in by. I mean, there was jobs I knew I could have and I'd be fine with and I'd, you know, make a decent wage and all that. But, you know, I was in college at the time and I had been working at the local YMCA for, I don't know, probably at least five years at that point, if not longer. And um, just I just brewing drew me in so easily and so fast. Um, and it just kind of was a nice blend of the creative side of things and, you know, the science side of things and understanding why and how certain, you know, processes would change things. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. almost felt like it was in my blood.
0: (laughs) It's a tough market to then just, you know, walk into here in San Diego because there's a lot of experienced brewers. There's a lot of expectation if you're going to, I mean, it's one of the more crowded brewing markets in the entire world and, you know, in terms of breweries per capita. Yeah. Um, how did you all, as you launched Virgin, set about creating beer that was going to be noteworthy or, uh, you know, gain an audience here in, in San Diego? And you all are in the far north of San Diego County in Carlsbad. but uh, And well that you say, you were. Now you are. You have multiple locations throughout San Diego County. But but even then, I mean, that was a competitive area. There's, you know, great breweries like, you know, Lost Abbey, there's Pizza Ports and stuff, you know, up there. Um, you know, now world-class breweries, you know, in your relatively immediate area.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, on one hand, uh, I feel so fortunate to have grown up in an area with world-class beer that you're speaking of. Cause those were definitely all the places that I did and still do continue to drink beer at. Um, and you know, I think as the passion grew stronger for me and, and like I said at the time, Derek, we were homebrewing together. Um, You know, all the great beer we had around us, I think it only just pushed us to want to strive to make as good a beer, if not better, if that was possible for us. Um, And yeah, so Derek and I homebrewed for like probably 10 years together before we actually got to the point of opening Burgeon. It was was close to 10 years. And Matthew, my third partner, um, he was not in the industry whatsoever. He was just kind of a craft beer fan. Um, he was working a sales job at the time. I was at, I was brewing at Rough Draft Brewing Company in kind of the Mira Mesa area, and it was his territory. He came in and liked what he was having, kind of, you know, we went to high school together, so he ended up shooting me a text and rekindled a friendship, I guess, and uh, kind of pitched the idea to me to start it off. And, um, you know, I kind of said, hey, I've been doing this with Derek on the side, and we've already been talking about wanting to get our own thing going, you know, if. If you're serious about it then the three of us need to meet because you know i'm not going to do it without him basically is what i said to him um and yeah and and matt was very serious about it and had already kind of seeked out interest and you know from the financial side of things i guess um and yeah we were probably two plus years in the planning to get to opening and uh started in carlsbad and now we're working on our fifth location
0: So what was the uh, what was the idea for the beer that you were going to make?
1: I mean, we pretty much brewed a little bit of everything when we were homebrewing. Obviously, growing up here and being accustomed to great West Coast hop forward beer, we knew we wanted to have a focus on that. Um, We also had this notion of like not wanting to, you know, we didn't want to have somebody come in and not be able to find something that they wanted to drink. So, you know, having a diverse list was pretty important to us. Um, You know our our opening list was probably only about five beers when we first opened, but it ranged from a, a, hoppy, a hoppy rye amber ale, a cream ale, a West Coast IPA. Actually, I think we had two West Coast IPAs. Um, I'm blanking on what the fifth beer was. but You know, I
0: recall a brown ale from you back in that era even too. Uh, I know that, that we had one at one point, but you also were making hazy IPA even in North County, San Diego back in 2016, 2017
1: yeah our our very first can release which was may of 2017 uh was actually two hazy beers uh which was such a new territory for i think san diego as a whole um and and very particularly for us um giant learning curve brewing that type of a beer coming from you know very clean crisp bitter forward you know bitter hoppy forward west coast beers um lots of sleepless nights and Definitely, handfuls of dumped batches that we were not happy with, and trying to figure out why things happened. Um, yeah, that that style has actually slowed down a bit for us, which you know, selfishly, I'm not opposed to. It seems like it's happening that way for most people uh,
0: these days, or at least most in the western half of the country. Even for our readers, you I know, mean, even our reader survey uh, most recently that uh, hazy IPA, it's still up there, but uh, dropped down a little bit versus even pilsner pilsner took took over the number 2 spot in our reader survey wow. from hazy ipa i don't know what that really means if that's just our crazy subset of brewer audience that uh, maybe is leading the consumer market a little bit in that sense but uh, but interesting enough to to see that uh, you know maybe some of that momentum is at least slowing well let's let's talk about west coast ipa or uh, yeah let's just start talking about west coast pale ale and ipa uh, because that is again something uh, that's close to your heart, something you grew up drinking and homebrewing, and uh, you know something that you all have won plenty of awards for. Uh, before we do that, streamline efficiency with Omega Yeast Diastol Knockout Series. The DKO series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diastol before it starts. The strains you know now better. Available now for made-to-order pitchables at any volume. Contact Omega Yeast today at omegayeast.com. Also, ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for 10 years. They are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of the brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com. To discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS commercial, we are brewers. So, to make a splash in West Coast IPA, West Coast style pale ale here in San Diego, you know, the beers they have to be lean, they have to be relatively dry, but they also have to have a vivid hop character, but also, you know, they also have to have a, a drinkability to them. You know, as you started thinking about how you were going to make extremely high quality West Coast IP because that's exactly what you have to make to even to be able to sell it or to you know build accounts here in San Diego you know where did you start and uh, maybe walk us through some of the evolution over the last you know six years because this has also evolved very significantly over just a six year period. It's strange to think about it in those terms, right? But yeah. uh, you know if you think about where you were in 2016, 2017, and where you are now in West Coast IPA, walk us through you know, some of that evolution.
1: Yeah, uh, I, it has drastically changed, I think, not as a whole not only as a whole, but for us in particular, um, you know and we're always striving to figure out ways to make our beers you know more aromatic and cleaner and you know stand out and just have that punch that everybody's looking for. I mean, if I, if I correctly think back on some of the aspects of the recipe of the very first West Coast beer we put out, which was called Thuja, uh, there was probably four malts and three hops, and we literally fermented it with French ale yeast, <laughs> which I don't know if that even oh, is in man. existence anymore. But, you know, that was kind of us in the beginning trying to put out something a little different than what was going on because at that time, you know, I... I almost think the craft beer landscape was a little bit more cutthroat at that time than maybe it even is now here. Um, but I mean, now, mo- you know, modern day speaking, like even Trevon, our flagship IPA, it's down to two malts, two hops, super neutral yeast strain, nothing, you know, out of the ordinary on that. Um, so, I yeah, I mean, our approach is, has drastically changed and maybe even more so in the last like two years. Yeah. What's happened in the last two years? Um, I think we've just leaned things out. Um, You know, we've... Like, drinkability has always been a big focus for us. Um, You know, we're most recently seeing a bit of a shift towards lower alcohol, hoppy beers, which I think are playing a little bit of a hand-in on even some of the West Coast beers that are higher alcohol percentage. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just personally looking for the ultimate session beer and and taking that perspective even when it comes to something like Trivana, that's 7.2 percent but um you know we have such a big following for that beer and, and a pretty big distribution footprint but i think that also like that approach is also what's helping that beer do what it's doing
0: this explains why so many west coast ipa brewers are focused on west coast pilsner these days so they can make the hoppy beers that they want to drink in the same kind of quantity that they want to drink them. But I want to stay on, uh, on IPA for a little while. Okay. Let's talk about how you today, you know, in, uh, in 2024 now, uh, you know, as you're constructing a West coast IPA recipe, where do you start?
1: Um, when you
0: say you've leaned it out, obviously that means you are looking for lighter and lower flavor contribution, uh, malt and grains. Where do you, where do you start building up a, a recipe then?
1: Yeah, so um, we've actually been putting a lot of focus into that particularly. Um, so we have two grain silos. We purchased a second one recently that is an outdoor silo, much larger. So that does contain our two-row, um, but we want to convert our indoor silo into a Pilsner silo. Um, we're trying to find that balance of a Pilsner malt. Indoor silo. You, you must
0: have... Uh, actually, I've been to, though, that warehouse brewing space. It's actually... you at the time had a decent amount of space in there i imagine it's a little tighter now looks
1: a little different yeah um
0: i remember you had built out a brew deck that had a space for another vessel at that point um you know so i imagine some things have changed since then
1: yeah quite a bit um but yeah we've we've kind of been trialing different pilsner malts lately um you know so three of our six core beers are lager style beers um so we're we're trying to find a pilsner malt that would be suitable for those um but also we've been brewing a lot of hoppy beers with pilsner malt and that's kind of what i was alluding to by leaning it out you know referring back to Trivana, our flagship west coast that is a two row based beer um but we do two new beers in cans every two weeks so lots of new stuff is always happening which allows for us to trial different malts um and and i would say that the majority of the one off west coast beers we put out now are pilsner based or at least high percentage of for example raw north star has been a great malt to to mess around with um, it's got that really lean clean body but still kind of provides the head retention that i'm looking for and pretty much no specialty we use a malt to adjust ph and you know some beers will they'll have small percentages of pale wheat malt in it but other than that, that's pretty much where we're at.
0: How do you think about that difference and make decisions between, say, two row and a Pilsner malt and an IPA?
1: Um, I think at the time when we came up with Trivana, you know, brewing IPAs or like very hoppy forward beers with Pilsner malt was like just happening. So it really wasn't on our minds. Um, and, you know, we were just thinking like, okay, two row is a little bit more versatile for other styles we want to brew with. In um, you know certain applications where Pilsner might not be the right malt to choose, um, but now that we've got a little bit more flexibility with the two silos and again just this hyper rotation of two new beers every two weeks, um, it's really allowed us to to dial in you know aiming for not only like obviously the hop profiles are the are the main thing with these beers, but obviously aiming for some kind of a, a malt you know component or focusing on that aspect as well, whether whether that's dumbing it down or making it a focal point.
0: You know, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you could either, you could still brew all of your IPAs with two-row, but you also are now incorporating Pilsner malt into some of your IPAs, not your core, obviously, but, uh, you know, but maybe some of the specialty. If I'm, am I hearing you right when you say that? Yeah, yeah. So why then make the selection between those two things? What is it about specific you know ideas that you have with some of these you know special or one-off IPAs that's going to drive you towards this Pilsner malt and is there something about uh, you know the the Pilsner malt that you choose that you know either complements the hops that you're using for those or you know that helps you accomplish some other goal or even you know in some senses maybe heightens sulfur or you know works with that fermentation process what's the decision making process around it?
1: I think ultimately and most importantly, we've noticed that it just circles back around to that drinkability aspect. You know, not, not that I, I wouldn't say Trevon is not, you know, a highly drinkable IPA, but it's definitely not anywhere near as sessionable as some of these other beers that we've been able to focus and make tweaks on um, as far as some of the one-off stuff we've been doing. Um, I, I think above everything, that's just what I always circle back to.
0: Sure, sure. Well, what is it about? Uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, that head retention and uh, flavor of raw North Star pills, and and hearing a lot more brewers, you know, leaning on that. Um, how does that work? Obviously, you're if you're filling up a, a silo of it, which is your intention there. You know, it needs to work for both your the loggers that you make, which also involve West Coast style loggers. Um, there is some of that hoppy crossover there, but it also has to work within your uh, say non-West Coast style loggers that you also make. Yeah, you know, how did you determine? You know, did you settle on that as some sort of medium between uh, you know, the hoppy beers that you make and some of the more traditional style lagers?
1: Um, so we've we've been working with BSG specifically for quite some time now, and uh, I, I think uh, we originally started with Gambrinus pills, and we were started bringing pallets of that malt and incorporating into different hoppy beers. Um, and we kind of noticed with that malt particularly that the beer seemed to dry out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so there was almost like... I hear that, a lot of that these It was days. almost like yeah. pushing the boundary of that... Um, not the drinkability, but like, I don't know, the dryness led to, for me at least, it not being too drinkable because it was like overly dry. Like not brewed IPA dry, but like right, going right. in that direction. Um, so I don't know, we kind of quickly found that, that that malt wasn't really suitable for what we were looking to do um and i think after gambrinus we we were already using wireman premium pills for the base of all of our lagers so we started to experiment with that and hoppy beers and had really good results um the unfortunate side of that malt particularly or maltster in general is that we cannot get silo fills of it because that would be my clear decision um but uh yeah that that led us to trialing rar north star Uh, it was a new malt at the time or a new offering from BSG, um, and initially incorporated into some hoppy beers at lower percentages than maybe what we're doing now, just to kind of see how it would change things. Um, and, and now that we're in the position where we're trying to dial in, you know, kind of one malt for all type of deal. Uh, we've been doing test batches with our three core lagers and then trialing RAR's premium pills as well. Um. We haven't finalized the decision yet, but Northstar seems to be kind of the direction I'm leaning. Yeah. Why that compared to some of the other pills? Um, The few batches we've done lately of our core loggers with premium pills, they seem to have like the slightest darker color pickup over Northstar. I mean, when you look at the specs just on the website, they're pretty comparative. Um, I mean, you're talking like a couple tenths of Loba Bond in either direction, but... Um, you know, just for us, it's just like pour a pint visually in the glass. It's kind of got more of a hue to it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, and I, the San
0: Diegans want it light or they want it a little bit uh, more golden. I think people are
1: definitely in the direction of light. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, there's uh you know, you've got to brew beers for your audience. And so even if I want more color and body and. And my logger uh, doesn't mean that that's what's gonna sell for you all. No, that's interesting. You know, do you ever you know do you ever vary that malt based on hops that you're using?
1: We haven't really yet. Uh, I would say though that some of the beers we've done recently uh, definitely. That's the
0: old Zach via Evan, you know, kind of uh, you know a pathway there. Um, level of wonkiness. I'm just, just curious about it. Yeah, I know that, uh,
1: I'm familiar with that. You're, yeah. you're
0: playing in the same uh, the same field, right?
1: Yeah. Um, we I've noticed that with certain hops um, that, you know, in my opinion, lean more towards the pungent side, um, you know, Rewaka, Nelson, I would even put 5.86 in there, maybe Mosaic to a certain extent. Um, you know, I almost prefer a touch more of that malt backbone, I think. Yeah. Like, for example, we did a beer uh, about a not quite a year ago with uh, Wynn from Wondrous. It was 100% Wireman Premium Pills, and we, it was Rewaka and Mosaic. And it was, like, almost too lean for that hot profile. So right. it was a little bit whacked out on the balance for me. Um, so in that case, you know, something like a Rye North Star might have been more of a suitable Pilsner base. Sure, sure. Well, let's walk
0: back, uh, you know, it's, we've now we've built a, a malt base for
1: this. As, you, as you're thinking
0: about, you know, designing one of these, uh, you know, special IPAs for your normal every other week's, you know, schedule, um, you build a malt base, where do you go from there?
1: Um, I would say our hopping schedules have, have changed a little bit lately. Um, for a while, we actually, when, when our beers were all two-row or dom, predominantly two-row, um, we had a lot of beers that were like 30 minute boils only, and we would do really? like first word hop edition whirlpool only. Um, I think I think we're kind of starting to realize that there just wasn't enough layering involved, and so you know several of those recipes have changed since then. Um, and we've been trialing that more so with the one off one off beers before we make any tweaks to anything in the in the core realm. Um, but yeah, I mean now we're kind of back to 60 minute boils. Still sticking with the first word editions, just kind of like that, that bitterness that it brings in. Um, what do you use for first word? That depends on the beer. Uh, I mean, we don't we're, we're not traditional in the sense of you know we don't do any sort of like an extract just to get the bu's or have it's like not a specific variety. No, okay. yeah, which I mean that's kind of how it came up through Stone. It was you sure. know we were like Warrior or Magnum, and that's how we're gonna lay our bitterness base. Right, and, right. Um, no, so, yeah, I mean, like Trivana, for example, that's an Amarillo first wort. Um, it really just kind of depends on the profile and, you know, what we're looking to get out of the hot side.
0: What When you when you say what you're trying to get out of the hot side, what are you? If you use Amarillo, you know, as a first wort hop, what are you trying
1: to get out of that? Because
0: that's now cooking for a long time, you know, 60 minutes, you know, through that whole process.
1: Yeah, so... I like the typical alpha acid range for Amarillo. I say Amarillo. I know everyone says Amarillo. I don't know. It's like it's the Spanish word in my head. Okay. So, I uh, but yeah, you I, do I, you. Uh. I, <laughs> I like the IBU or the uh, alpha acid range on that hop from year to year. Um, you know, it's it's typically in like the seven to ten percent. So it's not super high. I don't think we're getting like too much of an aggressive bitterness with that first word edition. You know, we're obviously paying a little bit more attention to that hop from year to year because it's in our main core beer. Um, but, you know, really, we always kind of worked backwards, like Whirlpool back. With with being able to do a little bit lower of a BU addition on the first work with something like Amarillo, we can really pack in on the Whirlpool side.
0: I love it that you work back from that. Talk, talk to me about that process. So when you're building you know i normally go linear and start at the front and walk through the end of it but you build it if you're building a hop uh r- you know recipe for a beer you know how walk through the way you do it starting with the whirlpool
1: yeah i mean or but, dry hop do you start with a dry hop and then go to whirlpool i don't uh we we have done that yeah um we have we actually did a really interesting beer several years back that we've rebrewed and definitely made changes to over the years but it initially started out as like a hey, let's see what we can do with a beer that's dry hop only and what that BU might come back at. And at the time, it was a beer we brewed with some old coworkers of mine from Stone. We had Stone test it, and it was literally dry hop only. It was a 30-minute boil, nothing on the hot side, three about a three-pound per barrel dry hop, and it came back at 49 IBUs. Really? Not to my palate, right? but that's t- tested, tested not tested, theoretical what, what, it not sped it, taste, what it spit out not yeah. Sensory, yeah um and i think that kind of got the wheels turning you know not not that when we write a How recipe did test that high
0: with that you wouldn't think that dry hopping would add that much testable
1: i was blown away and and i believe at the time that beer and that batch was like we dry hopped it at 50 degrees and it wasn't like it was super active and warm right. during right, right, fermentation right, right. um and like I said, we've changed that beer. You know the times that we have rebrewed it, and so I'd be intrigued to maybe retest it. I mean, we are doing some hot side hops on that beer now, but um, yeah, it was it was just an interesting experiment. I mean, it was it definitely lacked something. Um, I mean, aromatically it was fantastic, but you know, just it was lacking some of the mouthfeel. It obviously lacked some of the balance because it didn't have the true bitterness to it. Um, true bitterness. Yeah, like bitterness that you can really like feel on the tongue. Okay. Um, but that beer basically was what kinda got the wheels turning with like the whole working backwards thing. Okay. Um, and I mean when we write recipes now it's not like I'm plugging in a dry hop and saying, Oh, I'm getting twenty IBUs out of it. I don't right. I don't calculate that in. Um, I try to keep in mind like what we're using and maybe what kind of a you know, added punch that may be providing to the beer. So you haven't
0: adjusted your brewing software knowing that you're probably getting more BU contribution there in the dry hop
1: no we haven't done that um but yeah i mean I, I guess whirlpool was was always a huge focus for us i mean carlsbad crush what we're drinking right now is literally a whirlpool only mm. uh and this beer is still only a 30 minute boil um and you know I, to my palate it has a pretty nice balanced bitterness to it yeah um but maybe that's why it you know doesn't fit in that american pale category
0: international style yeah
1: um, I mean, just put enough mosaic in it. You can call it international <laughs> style, right? That's what it is, right? Yeah. Mosaic, yeah, mosaic yeah. cryo. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, you know, this is a Whirlpool-only beer. Lots and lots of mosaic and mosaic cryo in the Whirlpool. Nothing earlier than that. but And yet a 30-minute boil. That seems like such a minimalist approach to making West Coast IPA.
1: Yeah, so... Full disclosure, this beer, when it was very, very first brewed, was intended to be a hazy beer. Um, so, that was where the whole Whirlpool only idea first came sure, from. And sure. the short boil, because we knew we were trying to keep the bitterness down. Um, and and when we first brewed this beer, it the dry hop portion of it was completely all at knockout. And at least my theory is, and it happened over and over again, because we kept pushing it and pushing it and trying to figure out why i think the quantity at which we were dry hopping at the knockout stage was so heavy that it it was what caused the beer to drop bright right because at the time we were using you know a variant of london three and uh the first batch came out and it was i mean nearly as bright as what you're looking at right now but it was fantastic but we couldn't figure out why it wasn't hazy and so it took a few batches to kind of understand it a little bit better and then uh it transitioned to, like, well, let's just make it a West Coast pale ale because the flavor is fantastic. Um, you know, we can keep working with a clean yeast strain that we're very familiar with, and we're not trying to really, like, figure out too much. Right. Um,
0: and all the current science actually supports that finding, too, that, uh, you know, hopping that early can, or dry hopping that early could actually work against your haze stability it's you know
1: yeah and and we really found that it was the rate at which we were doing it because at the time so it was basically like 44 pounds of mosaic per turn off of our brew house which is a 15 barrel brew house we probably knock out about 19 barrels um so that that 44 pounds for 19 barrels was so heavy that it was just making the beer naturally look this bright for the most part this beer now is still getting the same mosaic Ratio on the dry hop, but it's on day four or day five of fermentation, and we're fermenting it with cowl now um, to to obviously make it a true West Coast beer. But we still messed around with knockout hop additions on hazy beers to try to figure out like what that threshold might be to where you can still get some of those you know attributes from a knockout edition, obviously without running the risk of the beer dropping bright on right. you. But um, yeah, I mean. I don't think there's anything we've done recently as far as hazy beers go that we've incorporated knockout hop additions. I, I think we've kind of convinced ourselves that we can get the same qualities out of those varieties when adding them on day four or day five. It's just kind of the warmer temp was the, really the focus as to why we were doing that in the first place. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we were kind of hesitant to get away from that on Carlsbad Crush because we felt like we had just created this gem, obviously accidentally, but, like, figured out how to tailor it to what we really wanted it to be. And so we, we, when we switched it to Cal, we continued to do the knockout hop edition for a while because we felt like that was really the, the process that was giving it the aromas that we were getting out of it. Um, and then we you know slowly convinced ourselves to trial it on dry hopping on day four and five at about 70 degrees and still coming up with the same results, thankfully, because then we could use the yeast off of it. Sure, sure.
0: So then looking at it, knockout hop versus whirlpool hop, what would be the temperature difference there
1: so for us uh we're quite literally opening the manway to the fermenter and dumping hops in as we're sending word uh, right into the tank
0: at fermentation yeah so
1: when we first created this beer um that would have been at you know 67 degrees with that strain okay particularly uh with cal beers we we ferment at 65 so now well now we're not doing the knockout hop but when that transitioned from uh london three variant to cal we were knocking out at about 65, you know, get everything in on batch one, seal it back up. Um, our standard fermentation, uh, you know, temperature profile is 65 degrees for about two days. And then we're ramping it up to 70 degrees after that point. Um, so now this beer gets dry hopped with that same amount of mosaic at 70 degrees.
0: Whirlpooling, then. Now that you've moved all of that to whirlpool hopping, you know, is, do you do any temperature adjustments in that whirlpool um, in order to, you know, bring down and lower
1: isomerization in the whirlpool? Yeah. So we um, all of our recipes are built to have a water back. Um, our brew house has the ability to water back with cold liquor or ambient water, um, depending on what we're brewing. So something like this, we target about a two barrel top up, it would be all cold liquor and we probably would fall within about the 187 range, um, you know, because it is a West Coast beer and we've obviously changed lots of things over the years to focus on this beer specifically being West Coast. Um, we're not trying to go too low or too, too low, I should say. right? With the Whirlpool temp, like we do want some of that isomerization, especially because we aren't putting right, kettle hops in outside. technically. Sure, sure um you know we still target that with something like trevana that is getting that first word edition and a 15 minute edition prior to the whirlpool edition um but yeah we we basically target about a two barrel cold liquor top up on our west coast beers um hazy beers a little bit lower like try to hit maybe more like the 180 mark i'm
0: curious what the you know obviously since you're doing this both both ways what the difference is between say a trevana that has some of these Intermittent hopping, uh, you know, pieces coming in during that hot side versus this all whirlpool side. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but first, SS Brewtech was founded by a group of home brewers and craft brewers dedicated to bringing an engineering-first approach to brewery equipment. SS Brewhouses are used to formulate new beer recipes at some of the world's greatest breweries and are the cornerstone of many local breweries. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. And have you heard of Christian Hansen? They're the fermentation experts with over 100 years experience in dairy and wine. They're now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their Smart Bev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria. This portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen.com. That's chr-hansen.com to learn more on the SmartBev line of products. Also, everyone's talking about the 2024 California Craft Beer Summit, March 12th through 14th in Sacramento. And with their speaker announcements, it's easy to see why. Kicking off the summit as keynote speaker is Rob Todd, the pioneer who built Allagash Brewing alongside him. Is the opening session is Christopher Shepard from Beer Marketers Insights with the latest industry insights in craft beer. Check out the full schedule at the website, CA craft Beer Summit. Com. All right, Anthony, I want to talk a little bit about this difference. You know, obviously, since you're doing it, like I said, you're doing it both ways. Um, you know, how would you define the difference in, in hop flavor, you know, with some of this kind of more intermittent and maybe slightly more traditional hopping method versus an all Whirlpool method? And does some of that change with the actual hops
1: that you're choosing in each of the individual beers? Uh, I definitely think, I think lots of things are varietal dependent. Um, I mean, yeah, we've we use Mosaic quite a bit Um, you know, we feel pretty familiar with that hop, whether it's hot side or cold side, so I I guess we kind of use that as like our ballpark or our our main reference point of where to start with, you know examining other varietals Um, you know, one thing that always I guess I was a little weary of with this beer specifically or anything that was only Whirlpool hop is just like shelf stability um, you know, we've been pretty fortunate that we're in a position where a lot of our beers don't make it to the point of concern, I guess, for, for my myself and my standard. But I think the lower ABV hoppy beers we do, you know, we almost have to put a little bit more attention into how we layer the hops to help those beers kind of have the legs that they might need. Um, you know, we, I was drinking Tinnies earlier. I'm not sure if you had one. But Tinnies, Tinnies was an XPA that we did with uh, Balter Brewing out of Australia, and what we really learned Scotty yeah Scotty uh he was so awesome I had a blast brew with him and learning from him and you know he really kind of shared his perspective on layering hops and um you know how that works in with you know the grain bill we're trying to build to create enough body to back up the amount of hops we're putting in um I mean it was probably one of the most fun clubs for me that I've done lately because I just felt like I was actually brewing something pretty different than the way we typically do things. And I really felt like I learned a lot. Um, you know, I've always kind of been in the mindset of like, Oh, well, let's like use a half a bag here. Cause we're going to use the other half a bag and we're not going to leave anything. And you know, the, the hop editions with tinnies, it was like, I mean, we had a first word edition that was literally a quarter a pound each on the two varietals. And it's like stuff that we've never done before. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's, he kind of like made me have that light bulb moment of like, all right, there really is something to layering hops, even if it's in super small quantities throughout the boil. Um, I mean, we did mash hopping, we did first wort, we did a bearing edition, we did a 15 minute edition, we did a whirlpool and we did two dry hops. And this was on a 5.3% beer. (laughs) Um, But it was like, so, so drinkable and so flavorful that, yeah, it kind of like, Made me throw some things out the window. So if you
0: compare it to, you know, say a a much more simplest, simple uh, recipe strategy that you might typically take from a sensory standpoint, how do you describe it? I mean, yes, better, more nuanced, you know, but is there, are there some specific, you know, pieces to it, um, you know, that you find as you're, as you're tasting it?
1: yeah i think when the beer came out um scotty actually came back into town and you know we kind of did some side-by-sides with Tinnies and crush just because carl's bud crush was probably the most similar beer we had on tap to to do that with um and Tinnies just seemed to have more depth to it and you know it's we're probably on the last keg of it here but it's been on tap for about six weeks and I, I'm, I still think it's drinking nearly as fresh as it was six weeks ago um so it you know it's kind of made me think like is is there something we should be doing differently with crush even though it has become such a great beer and it's obviously done well for us on the accolade level um but you know like again always looking to figure out how to make our beers better hoppier fresher all that so Um, I don't know. I I think there were some things that I learned from the Tinney's brew that I could probably apply to something like this to lengthen its life, I guess.
0: Yeah, talk to me about that longevity. I think that's interesting to think about, um, that having more of a, maybe we shouldn't call it cooked hop, but a hot side hop uh, flavor to it, and some of those flavor compounds that are created or steeled, or otherwise, you know, cooked, or even, you know, uh, with other compounds driven off through some of that heating process, volatilized, Um, what do you think lends some of those flavor characteristics more longevity in IPA versus just
1: a pure whirlpool approach? I mean, it must must have something to do with just embedding itself, you know, deeper into the wort versus, um, you know, something something to do with embedding itself into the word and, and at the temperatures that we're doing it at, um, you know, just in comparison to something like a dry hop where it's, you know, it's, it's more time, but it's, it's at a different temperature. You know, a lot, a lot of things are blowing off during fermentation. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess we just haven't honed in enough as far as trialing things to understand, you know, why the hot side hopping could potentially be, you know, creating a more shelf stable beer at least from from our perspective and what we brew um you know but but we 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 are distributing beers um you know in cans and kegs so it's definitely a focus for us to make sure our beer is tasting as good as it can from the day it goes out the door to the you know last pint of the keg or the last four pack out of the case but um yeah
0: sure sure well let's talk a little bit about building hot blends you know obviously within this west coast uh you know both west coast pilsner and west coast ipa and pale ale kind of spectrum um there's some commonalities between those obviously you lean heavily on mosaic lots of brewers do um general go-to there you all use a fair amount of new zealand hops in your blends you know whether it's west coast ipa or west coast uh, pilsner for that matter um you've got a pretty standard brand uh, of west of a new zealand pilsner here um Talk to me about how you, you know, creatively build those blends and, uh, you know, how you then think about layering hops in order to, to build a cohesive flavor out of some of these hop fla- uh, families.
1: Yeah, um, we've definitely have been brewing a lot more West Coast Pilsners lately, which has been fun from, you know, one side of it. Um, it's great to see the consumer wanting the lower alcohol but still hop-focused beers. I think those are definitely trickier beers, you know, for us as brewers to really hone in and nail down. Um, You know, I think oftentimes a consumer who may not have any sort of brewing knowledge is just like thinks it's an easier beer to make because it's less alcohol (laughs) or whatever. Um, Completely the opposite from my perspective. But um, yeah, as far as hop blends go, I think, you know, we're pretty familiar with, a good chunk of varietals there's a lot of stuff that we don't use we've been a pretty heavy user of new zealand hops since about 2018 which is when our relationship with freestyle hops started um you know we've been fortunate to be a part of hop selection down at their farm uh 2019 and and most recently this year i was down there um there's just such a unique characteristic to all new zealand hops and then obviously individually as you start to dive into them um, but I think our bigger focus lately has just been on, you know, alternative hop products and trying to find or figure out how we can incorporate those. Um, I'm kind of on the argument of like they're not supplements, but they're, you know, they're you want to incorporate them with something like a normal T90 pellet or a cryo pellet um you Without know
0: replacements but they uh, yeah can that add was the word some, i was looking they for can add some extra you. character to it
1: yeah so i mean we've been more recently messing around with freestyles sub-zero hop keef um, which is like a full cold side flowable hop product i'm sure you're familiar with uh beer we have on tap right now chili bin is a new zealand style pilsner that's uh, nelson Nectaron and nelson sub-zero hop keef um you know we're kind of finding that A product like that's it's adding a hop flavor and punch to it but like the oil and mouth coating effect is you know something different that you may be not getting out of a t90 pellet and you know maybe you're getting that a little bit from a cryo pellet but I think there's some kind of a marriage between all the forms of Hops that you can find cool balance. So you with.
0: actually need some of that vegetal and polyphenol I, type
1: character. that I think so. Yeah. How
0: you know as you're doing it now? How do you balance some of those things? If you're using some of you know whether it's intense cryo or you know something like the keef, You know how do you think about like you know layering in some of that in a different format? Are you doing fifty-fifty blends? Are you uh, leaning one way or another? Obviously these are more intense in terms of. Of character but
1: yeah um i mean we're
0: still or, and is there a time you're we you only talking about dry hop here whirlpool are there some that work better in different kinds of timing than others
1: we so the sub-zero hop we have only used basically about mid-fermentation dry hop um freestyle recommends that that is added below 140 degrees um we've never trial oh that's not true we we trialed once dosing it completely cold side like as a dry hop addition essentially in a bright tank um we took i our, mean you are
0: here in san diego and north park's only a, yeah. a few blocks away here <laughs> uh. we
1: uh we took our mexican style lager and dosed it with a small amount of the Matuca freestyle sub-zero hop keef to kind of you know, give it that, like, we added a lime to your beer, but we didn't add a lime okay. to your beer characteristic. Right, right, yeah. Um, turned out pretty cool. That was the only application where we added it completely post-fermentation. Anything else we've done has been hoppy-style beers, um, you know, typically adding, adding it on day three or four of fermentation. You know, like like you said, it's it's not a replacement product. For us, we're still going to be heavy on 290 and cryo. Um, you know, we kind of observe cryo as, you know, we're going to use it at about half the rate we would with T90. Um, Freestyle supplies these bottles at a 275 ml or, or an 1100 milliliter bottle. But basically, it's in a, like equatable to 11 pounds or 44. Um, you know, we're just we're adding it in as if it was just an extra 11 pounds on the dry hop we were already doing. So, you know, something like Chili Bin was technically dry hopped at a slightly higher rate than maybe some of our other beers might have been. Um, but that was just out of, you know, pure curiosity to see what that product could bring to the table.
0: Sure. Chili Bin, McElhenney compl- uh, collaboration, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Sure. One of two. Yeah, we had had a blast brewing a few beers with Sean. Um, you know, did some fun beer week stuff. So a couple at our place and one at his place. Nice. Well,
0: let's. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, well, we should still dive into dry hopping because we haven't. Fully talked about fermentation and dry hopping you talked about uh, you know timing there and now you know but but let's talk about on west coast ipa um Carlsbad crush what's what's the dry hop look
1: like on that Oh, uh, that's all mosaic and it is dry hopped pretty much consistently on day five um, we kind of found day five was the optimal time for harvest but still with a little bit of activity left. So it's to, day
0: five because you can pull yeast off on day yes. five and then you can just dry hop it after you've pulled the yeast off yeah. and it all works together as a process.
1: Yeah, that's that's our main goal is, um, you know, finding that optimal time of, let's make sure we can reuse yeast when and if we need to and, you know, get those hops in there when it's still slightly active at the warm side of the tail end of fermentation.
0: And how many points away from you are you from terminal when
1: you start doing that? Um, one at the most right right you know um you know part of it's a safety thing and we're not trying to geyser or anything which luckily sure. hasn't happened but um
0: and you're just using caliel yeast do you mm-hmm. uh you know do you lower temperature at all before you dry hop or are you just going in at uh that current fermentation temperature
1: yeah we're going in at 70. um dry hop temp is something we've played with a lot over the years but i'd say for the last several years now has consistently all been warm side.
0: No real benefit from dropping the temperature down for you. Um, or raising uh, it up for that matter.
1: Yeah, we're not really going above 70. Um, for the hazy beers that we want a little bit more of that fruity ester profile, we're at like 72 or 73. Right, right. Different yeast strains, so it, it, it's going to act a little different. But we trialed a lot with like certain varietals at certain temperatures. So, Trivana, going back to Trivana, for example, for a long time, the mosaic was always warm, day five. We would wait to pass VDK. We'd set it down to 50. We would dump and we would do the Amarillo dry hop and then we'd run a recirc on the tank. Mm. We've kind of gotten away from that. I almost felt like the Amarillo, like it gave it a little bit more of an old school profile, Mm. which, I mean, for me, I didn't mind it too much. Um, But I think it's the Amarillo warm has brought a little bit more of the like orange and tangerine out, at least from our crop. And, uh, it's also brought a little bit more of an ease and a quicker process to the dry hopping process for us. Um, you know, it seems like we've been able to cut a couple of days down by just getting it all in one charge and wait until it passes VDK and then moving along. Um, Nelson was another one that we trialed a lot with at lower temperatures. We do a beer called clever Kiwi, which we've been making for years. And, you know, I, I guess unbeknownst to us at the time, it was kind of like a New Zealand Pilsner. Um, we were dropping that beer down to 50 for dry hop and we just really really liked the New Zealand or the Nelson character we were getting on that beer. Really? So that kind of translated into the beers we were, the the IPA beers we were doing that had Nelson in them you know so whether there was if it was only Nelson or if it was Nelson and two or three other varietals the the other varietals would go in first we'd pass VDK, we would step it to 50, we would dump hops, get the Nelson charge in and then run a recirc on the tank and I think maybe looking back on it now and just having more experience with all of it um you know it could have been crop dependent but it seemed like at the time we were getting a little bit less of that like diesel dank out of the nelson and a little mm-hmm. bit more of the fruitiness uh which was what we were going for um but now i'd say for the most part everything's getting dry hopped on the warm side with a little bit of fermentation left sure
0: sure what's your you know what do these typically then finish at and uh I mean, it's just West, well, it's Cali ale yeast, so it's going to be in that what you know two range.
1: Yeah, so um, the lower alcohol beers, we try to get them not to dry out quite as much. Um, again, just going back to trying to find that balance and, and create the drinkability. You know, something like Crush, we target about two play doh. Um, the West Coast IPAs were at about one five. I'd say our standard range is one four to one seven is pretty much what we're falling into for most things. Um, West coast pilsners were about to play range. Um, although we did do a rebrew of our Highland park collab, which was called park pass, um, used a yeast strain that, you know, wasn't unfamiliar to us, but it wasn't something that we had in our cellar, you know, often over the last several years. Um, so we were targeting a little bit higher of a, of a terminal on that one. And, you know, that was kind of us, you know, going by what Bob's experiences have been and, you know, what he likes to target and, and, and enjoying drinking his beers and just trying to learn from him. But uh, yeah, that one was at about two and a half Play-Doh. So not a was drastic. Was that a
0: 3470 or was yeah, that? It was a thirty four seventy?
1: yeah. And, I figure if it's
0: Bob, it's got to be that.
1: Uh, yeah, the beer turned out fantastic and, you know, kind of opened us up to wanting to experiment a little bit more with that one.
0: As we finish up here, let's talk a little bit more about West Coast Pilsner. Just, uh, you yeah, know, as you define it, how do you find the right kind of balance between pungent West coast hops? These kind of hops that we all have an expectation around via IPA and building balance within, you know, this kind of light, Pilsner, well, Pilsner structure, which isn't always light. I shouldn't say that it's always like there's, there are plenty of Pilsner beers. In fact, the original Pilsner beer and really not necessarily a light beer in that sense, kind of a golden rich beer. Yeah. Um, as you define it now, knowing that your West Coast audience here in San Diego wants very pale, very pale and light bodied Pilsner beer. You know, how do you build the right kind of balance and uh, find that balance with these pretty intense West Coast hops?
1: Um, I guess I started with like somewhat of a pale ale approach um yes I, I mean paleo is my favorite I've been beer trying style. to
0: popularize cold popularize cold pale ale yeah and, I uh, mean
1: I, I think yeah ultimately that's probably more it. what we're like making right, right. um but yeah we uh I mean paleo is my favorite beer category like hands down um so a lot, of, a lot of the West Coast Pilsner beers we've done have been a blend of two row and some sort of Pilsner malt. Sure. Um, you know, just touching back on Park Pass with Highland Park, we did a two row and Wireman Barkapils Pils blend. Um, and I believe a little bit of Cara Foam on that as well. So still trying to have a balanced body, um, you know, We're not lagering those beers as I don't think really anyone is. Um Right. You don't wanna
0: destroy all this hop character that you just worked so hard to to work into it.
1: Yeah, and I think
0: you It also doesn't necessarily need that kind
1: of polishing in order to Yes. I, I think the approach I think it's okay to be you know, approaching it differently than you don't have to be like, Oh, I'm using lager yeast, I have to do it the way I'm gonna do my pilsner. Um So, you know, we never took that approach. We kind of just felt like, well, we're going to blast this thing with who knows what hops at the same rate we're going to dry hop a pale ale or an IPA with. So, you know, does it quite need the polishing? Probably not. Um, So there's still like a three to four week beer for us, like our hoppy, normal hoppy stuff is Um, we've kind of ran the gamut a little bit on yeast strains. Um, You know, so in house we always have Augustiner and we always have Mexican lager yeast. So we kind of started with those two. Um, Augustiner was a little too estuary for my liking with these West Coast Pilsners. So we had switched it to Mexican lager yeast, which is a little bit more clean and neutral. Uh, I've been a big fan of the beers we've done, the the West Coast Pilsner beers we've done with uh, that yeast strain. And then most recently brought 3470 into the mix and was really happy with the results of that that as well. Um, You know, I think just for the sheer fact that we have Mexican lager in house all the time, we probably will stick with that for most of these beers, but um, yeah, you know, it's clean, but it also, I think if you know beer and you can at least tell the difference between drinking a lager and an ale, you will know that we fermented the beer with a lager yeast. Um, but yeah, we're dry hopping it at, a you know, about two and a half to three pounds per barrel, same as what we would our, our pale ales or IPAs. It's intense. Um, we're still fermenting, we're starting the fermentation on the cold side and then uh, ramping them up on like, I'd say they were landing around day four or five. It just depends on where we're at with fermentation. Um, but then getting dry hopped on the warm side, which warm side meaning probably 62 degrees. Sure.
0: Now your Pilsner
1: yeast or, sorry, your lager
0: yeast in general is going to likely produce a little more sulfur, you know, than your cali yeast. Yes. How do you balance, you know, say that sulfur contribution from the fermentation, you know, against some of the kind of sulfur compounds in the hops themselves? uh you know, do you think about that and do you try to, you know, alleviate that in any way?
1: Yeah. Or um, amplify that, I you know. We, so I think, I think 3470 probably produced a little bit more sulfur than the other two strains that we were more familiar with. Um, Augustiner seems to be a pretty low sulfur producer and then Mexican lager I think is even less of a sulfur producer, Mm. at least the strain we're using particularly. Um, So, you know, I don't know if we just got kind of lucky and the beers that we've done so far haven't had too many sulfur issues. You know, there's there's ways you can go about scrubbing it out using some copper scrub. I didn't mean to apply
0: sulfur issues. I love a good sulfur, uh, you know, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my loggers. So, uh, you know, I wasn't implying it was bad. I'm just curious how you think about balancing those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, um, and I I think you know one of our brewers is uh he's a little more sensitive to sulfur than I am because there have been at least two West Coast pilsners in the last I don't know three months or so. And he's like, well, I kind of had to give it a week or two, you know, it was a little, little. I was picking up some sulfur on that I'm like, really? You know, and it always kind of like makes, bums me out or something if I'm not picking it up, but then he'll come to me a couple of days later and he's like, I don't, know, I don't know, maybe I was wrong. And I'm like, well, I don't think you were wrong. Like it could have changed in that few day period, who knows, sure, but sure. Um, yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, there are some remedies if, if we're experiencing, you know, over than desired levels of sulfur at the time of packaging. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's I think what I'm kind of finding with that Mexican lager strain is it's pretty clean and neutral and easy to work with. And, uh, you know, the other benefit for us incorporating more of these West Coast Pilsner style beers is just getting able to bounce the yeast around more and keep it keep it going and keep it lively. And, you know, sure, sure.
0: Well, let's zoom out here as we finish up. Um, You all have been at it for a number of years now. Um, Where do you hope to be with Burgeon? in the next three years, in the next five years. You've got multiple locations in San Diego now. You've got some GABF metal, three GABF metals to your name. You know, what, what's next for you from a brewing or a business you know, standpoint? And uh, what do you ha- hope to achieve? Where do you hope Burgeon to be in the next three to five years?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're in the midst of uh, working on our fifth location, another another taproom location. So, um, you know, for us, it's always been a focus to – grow the business from within as much as we can. Um, you know, we, we do thoroughly enjoy bringing on people that are great assets to the company. And, and we've been fortunate to do that up to this point. Um, we're, we're completely self-distributed, you know, most of our beer stays in San Diego County. Um, you know, so for us to grow the distribution and sales team that we have is, you know, I feel pretty proud of. Um, it's a, it's a pretty tough and difficult thing to to manage on your own and not a lot of people have been fortunate doing it doing it. Um yeah, I think you know, we've established a very solid lineup of core beers. You know, the the fresh and new is uh is something we've always put focus and emphasis on emphasis on and I don't see that going anywhere. It's been you know it's been a great um you know thing to incorporate into our business model for for not only our in house customers but you know our our out of house customers as well. Um I think I think we're 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 getting to the point with the equipment we have where it's becoming a little more difficult to experiment with things. Um, you know, there's always a constant need for I need another tank of this or that. So it kinda pushes things to the to the wayside. But um, we've got a couple things that we're looking at doing next year in house and getting some equipment in to allow us to continue experimenting, continue trying out new products, trying to stay relevant. I mean there's just so many people out there that want what's new and what's next and you know we're fortunate to have the loyal loyal customer base with the core beers as well but um yeah i mean i think our focus is it's it has been and will remain san diego like there's so much room in this landscape here it it sounds crazy to say that because there are so many breweries here but um you know we feel like we have a great product we feel like uh there's a lot of great things to get behind with our company and and we have a great team um you know i our team is why we are where we are and uh, you know, continue hiring the right people and growing within this landscape, I think we'll be just fine in the next few years.
0: Well, that sounds like a great place to bring this to a close. Just a reminder, choose GD Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring. Pro Brew's engineering team prides itself on providing true customized turnkey solutions. Try Old Orchard's newest flavors like Berry Blend, Blood Orange, Lemonade and Tart Cherry or have their R&D team formulate a custom blend just for you. Omega Yeast's Diacetyl Knockout Series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. ABS Commercial are proud to offer brewhouses, tanks, keg washers and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country. SS Brew Tech is dedicated to an engineering first approach to brewery equipment, and R&D at some of the world's greatest breweries. Christian Hansen's Smart Bev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria allows for consistent performance and high quality. And don't miss the 2024 California Craft Beer Summit, March 12th through 14th in Sacramento. And of course, if you've enjoyed this episode and any other episodes of the podcast, go to beerandbrew.com, click on that subscribe button, um, show us that this content matters to you and we depend on your support to keep bringing to you week after week after week uh reminder we've got a brewery accelerator event for breweries and planning coming up in austin texas this march uh if you are considering opening a brewery or on your path to do that or if you've just opened a brewery go to breweryworkshop.com and check out the information about that event uh anthony if you want to learn more about Burgeon and the beers you make west coast pilsners west coast pale ales west coast ipas and all the other things that you also make too um, where where can they learn more about you, both uh, in real life and out there on the internet?
1: Yeah, so uh, main brewery and taproom locations in Carlsbad. We have uh, Burgeon at the Oasis in Escondido. We have Burgeon at the Arbor, which is where we are right now, downtown. With a
0: hopping uh, afternoon crowd here, I yeah, might add. Yeah. Not too
1: bad for a nice Wednesday. Uh, and then we have a private event space known as The Greenhouse, which is located in the same building as the brewery in Carlsbad. And then soon to be Burgeon uh, at the Grove in Vista, California. Uh, you can find us at com or Instagram at Beer.
0: Well, I appreciate you talking with me about brewing beer today, Anthony. Uh, it's been
1: wonderful talking about it. Cheers. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.